You're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. into the portal. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. And we're back today or tonight or this evening or morning, whenever you're listening, <laughs> um, with a really fun discussion with our longtime friend, Adam Benedict That's of right. uh, Pine Barrens Institute. Yeah. A wealth of knowledge this uh, good sir is. So really excited to have him on the show and for you guys to listen to what he has to say about the beast of Bray Road. Mm-hmm. Before we get into uh, right into the interview, though, we wanted to touch on a few things about Adam, about his work and about an ongoing project um, that has finally come to fruition. That's going to be a really amazing re- resource for Into the Portal moving forward. So yeah, longtime friend of the show, an accomplished paranormal scholar. He's ha- he hails from Wisconsin, so right in the heart of this story for tonight's episode. And he focuses his efforts on uncovering the unknown and mysterious, including many obscure cryptozoological creatures featured on his website, which is the Pine Barrens Institute or pinebarrensinstitute.com. So yeah, the Pine Barrens Institute is an online cryptozoological Midwest folklore and historic Fortean newspaper reference site which is based out of Janesville, Wisconsin. And the focus of the site is to document, catalog, and help spread factual information pertaining to the folklore, legends, and true stories involving both well-known and lesser-known cryptid creatures, obscure boogeymen, and forgotten monsters from all over the world. So he touches on pretty much everything. That's a pretty epic description. We pulled that from his website. It's it's really a wealth of resources, so we encourage everyone to go check it out. Definitely. And especially his latest project. So we're talking about Monsters in Print. Uh, that's the title of his latest book that he just published, and it's doing really well. It's all, yeah. And we got a copy courtesy of winning a contest of his, so yep. we were stoked on that. Definitely. And we've been reading it. Like It's just one of those ones where you can pick it up It can be a bathroom reader. It can be when you just have five minutes and you're just like waiting for the bus or something. That's the best thing about it. Exactly. And my favorite part. So let's just talk about the description here. I pulled this from the website again. Mm -hmm. It's just a really well-nuanced little little ditty here. So it says the collection, this collection of over 170 plus articles direct from newspapers of the 1800s and 1900s brings some of the most bizarre, amazing, and incredible stories of true monster encounters out of the past and into your hands everything you read in this book is real real in the sense that it was really written but still unknown if what was written really happened that way for real right (laughs) the decision to believe is yours Mm, love love that that. love that yeah i because we always want to believe so of course it's incredible uh, yeah we're walking fox malters for sure definitely and that was actually yeah that was a really succinct little thing i love this because it is raw it's unedited he hasn't altered anything in these articles that he sourced and it's from a collection so these are primary materials and Mm -hmm. let me just read here they are actually from 
So both the Library of Congress and the National Endowment for the Humanities, and that, those are both historical archives that have right. collected and preserved these these amazing little mm-hmm. pieces. And it starts in the 1820s and works its way up decade by decade. Yep. And you get, like like we already said, a, a, just a wealth of everything from mermaids to... Um, like Frogmen you know, to, yeah. you know, to, to Sasquatch-like creatures, mm-hmm. to dogmen-like creatures, mm-hmm. to all kinds of crazy hominids, all sorts of stuff. Everything that we're into on the show, everything that we know you guys are into listening to the show... It's it's also like a very affordable book too. You know what I mean? Like it's not one of those ones you go on there and it's like a hundred dollar book mm-hmm. or something, right? It it, it is. You guys got to pick it up. Amazon is, Great value. Uh, is the main place to get it. So we'll have uh, yeah. the all the links included in our show notes. You can also just go to the pinebarrensinstitute.com and click on their shop. Yes. And it's the links right there too. And we'll include links to all that. So yeah, make sure you check it out. Mm-hmm. So are we ready to jump into this uh, little discussion with Adam? Totally. Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's do it. Hello, I'm Amber A. And I'm Andrew McKay. And we have a special guest with us today, don't we, Andrew? Indeed we do. Mm-hmm. Joining us today is none other than Adam Benedict from the Pine Barrens Institute. What's going on, buddy? Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, <laughs> fantastic to be here. I listen all the time. So it's crazy to be on the other side. Oh, that's, that's awesome. This has kind of been, like we said before we started recording, a super, super long time coming kind mm-hmm. of on the show here. And it was pretty serendipitous. It was perfect timing, really, because we're covering uh, creatures that are definitely native to your neck of the woods and neighboring states and things like that. So, yeah, we appreciate you coming on the show. We've been dabbling in your book a little bit recently, and there's going to be a few little tidbits that we pull out of that for some upcoming episodes, too. So oh, I'm pretty definitely. Excited about that. And congratulations on the book, by the way. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, OK, today we wanted to bring you on because obviously you're from Wisconsin familiar with the beast of bray road you actually sent us a literal chunk of bray road a little while ago which was one of the coolest things we've ever been sent before but um (laughs) i mean right now we basically started our part one and one and a half of this series diving into just dogmen the michigan dogmen this idea of upright canine bipedal hybrid enigmas that are stalking the woods of wisconsin alaska michigan there's some canadian cases as well i guess before we really get into any like creature descriptions or beast of bray specifically like what is your familiarity with like dogmen just in broad strokes the whole the whole overview of dogmen um didn't really start to become a, a major blip on my radar until um i guess just a few years ago is when it really started to take on it, its its own thing as dogmen um growing up i was familiar with it but it was always referred to you know as werewolves um so eventually, you know, the where it started out as werewolves and then people were saying, oh, it's probably, you know, some Sasquatch related. But just relatively over the course of a few years, it's become its own thing, pretty much. It's, you know, it's a different it's a definite separate thing that has become definitely uh, very Midwestern and very, you know, um, upper United States compared to like Sasquatch. Um, so. I guess it's it's kind of new, but it's still grounded, if that makes sense, in like old old descriptions and terms. Yeah, definitely. And I guess, you know what, that's a good segue here because in our episode 1.5 and a little bit in the first episode, there was a lot of dabbling in this idea, like Amber brought it up too, like the idea of like skinwalkers and the connections to indigenous folklore and creatures that go way further back than European contact. And 
we're get, we'll get into a little bit more of that in, in a sec, but I guess that was one of the things about, like, we covered the Monster Quest episode, America's Wolfman. Are you familiar with that episode at all? Uh, yeah, they uh, they actually interviewed a the girl that was interviewed in it uh, in in Janesville. Uh, I went to school with her. No way. Yeah, wow. <laughs> she was. Uh, I believe she was a year behind me. But uh, the location in which that took place is probably only about ten minutes away from where I live right now. Right. Crazy. Man. That's incredible. It's such such a small world. Oh, really. definitely. You know what's kind of funny though? It's like this this story. Oftentimes, when you read like any any accounts, like whatever, you're cruising the internet, mysterious universe. Basically, every article it'll start with the 1930s and it'll say ever since the mid 1930s. When I guess that's what I was trying to get to with the whole idea of like indigenous folklore. It got goes way further further back than that. Would you want to get into a bit of a creature description here, though, Amber? Well, we definitely covered the gambit in part one, and I would say part 1.5 as well, but just a few descriptors, I guess. Hey, we're talking about a bipedal, very hairy, wolf-like creature, dog-wolf hybrid, usually standing on two feet, like I said, bipedal, usually about seven feet tall. You know, this thing, it is almost like... I've seen so many descriptions now, and it's somewhere in the range of about 700 pounds could be 400 could be a thousand according to who you talk to but again right we're talking about something that has brownish gray fur almost a little bit mangy perhaps and maybe perhaps has either predatory or scavenger like behaviors attached to it as well right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay well before we even before we start grilling adam about this monster do you want it let's let's jump into the original story so i'm gonna just go through this sort of like just just the broad strokes of this account. Specific to the Beast of Bray Road. Specific to the Beast of Bray Road, the 1936, what a lot of people will say was the jumping off point of this, even though it really does tie into a lot of other creature sightings leading up to 19, the 1930s. But there was a guy by the name of, wow, this last name is kind of hard to pronounce, Mark uh, Shackel- Shackelman? That's not too, too hard. Shackelman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Basically, this guy, according to some sources, he was a night watchman. Uh, he was employed by the St. Coletta Convent, and he was driving home Highway 18, uh, just east of Jefferson County, Wisconsin, which is an area obviously you'd be familiar with, Adam. Evidently, he's in the area of uh, indigenous burial mounds. Uh, obviously, there's some territory like this in the in the area, so he's driving through on just a regular Highway 18, but nearby, there's these burial mounds visible from the road. And the classic story kind of goes that, of course, he approaches these mounds as he's driving and sees someone and or something very, very large standing near one of these mounds. And as he approaches even closer, he can see that it's clearly not human, but he's still more or less unable to make out exactly what he's looking at. But as he gets even closer, we end up with the classic creature that Amber just described, a seven foot tall, you know, 500 pound the beast, the classic beast of Bray Road, standing there bipedally, seemingly digging into the mound, which is, I mean, that's a rabbit hole that we can go down in a second for sure. But that is the original account. And I don't even know, Adam, like when's the first time you heard that? And like, what are your thoughts just on that origin story? Uh, the first time I, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the first time I heard that was probably when Linda Godfrey's book came out, uh, The Beast of Bray Road, uh, Tailing Wisconsin's Werewolf. And that <clears throat> that breaks down a lot of the timeline of what happened. 
Uh, prior to the book, I never heard about that. That wasn't as widely known um, around the state unless you were really deep into the the uh, the Fordian cryptozoology, you know, interest back in the early 90s when all this came out. Um, so when I heard that, it, it was later on. Uh, but to me, this one has always seemed weird because it didn't really show up until after all of the, um, I guess, spotlight was on the creature itself. And it, it diverts so much from what happened originally on the road that it seems almost like it's something completely separate. That's how I've always taken it. Right. It's so funny too how like, okay, and going back to just Amber's description there too, this idea that comparatively to the Wisconsin or sorry, the, rather the Michigan dog man, where right in the name, it's dog man. Some of these descriptions lean a little bit away from that um, with the idea of it more being looking more like a bear or some sort of a hybrid creature. Like yeah, that. some people have suggested a mange infested bear. Some people have suggested it's actually a wahila, so like an ancient wolf species. And uh-huh. a lot of these stories that I was reading as far as like specific to Bray Road was that this was cited on all fours a lot more frequently than say the dogman stories that we read out in part one of our series which does i guess lend a little bit more to the idea of like a wahila or i think there i I don't i don't have it in front of or a koi dog some people suggested that like a sort of coyote dog or or koi wolf i've heard that too right so just like almost like a donkey version of a wolf or hybrid (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) you made it or a mule sorry not a a donkey a mule (laughs) mule. okay all right okay okay well where do you want to go from here amber Well, I'm just really curious about your experience, Adam, as far as like growing up in that area when you were, say, uh, a young child and growing up into your teens. And did you ever have any experiences yourself or any sightings or knew anyone besides the one that you already mentioned previously that was featured on Monster Quest? So I never had any experiences myself with anything, you know, that could be described as like. Uh, related to the the Beast of Bray Road itself. But growing up, when all this was going down in the early 90s, um, 90, 91, 92, um, it was big talk around, like, the school cafeteria. Um, you know, everyone was talking about, did you did you hear about the werewolf? Did you hear not far away they, they shot a werewolf? Someone killed a werewolf. Um, people have been killed by werewolves. You know, the, the little kid rumors that, that take off so you know we were scared oh man there's there's a werewolf that's you know not far away from we live uh slowly that that uh added on top of that it got added that oh the police force is now you know putting out silver bullets all their all their (laughs) cops have to carry silver bullets in case (laughs) they come across the werewolf um what what added to the realism of this for me um, and I think some of the some of the people in my class at the time is that when this was hitting the news and taking place of of monsters of people that were you know uh, could possibly be harmed, um, eaten, killed. Uh, conveniently, this is taking place at the exact same time that Jeffrey Dahmer was on trial of people actually being you know eaten and cannibalized. Right. So. You're seeing pictures of someone who's actually doing this, and then you're hearing about there's someone running around, you know, Elkhorn, a possible monster that's also doing this. And it just added to that 
this fear is actually real. Um, so it, it was a, it was a crazy time, actually, because that's all that's all anyone would talk about, like eating lunch. That's is the werewolf. That's too funny. That the the, the, <laughs> the police carrying the silver bullets is just a nice cherry on top to that story. I think for sure. <laughs> and, I, and I'm not gonna lie. I believe that longer than I probably should admit <laughs> that all the police had one silver bullet like on them just in case. I want to say I probably believed that up until I was like 14. You know, I, I wonder if there were actually some members of the police department that believed it themselves and just went ahead and carried a silver, <laughs> silver bullet. Yeah, I mean, if it was up. this much of a story in the in the early 90s, I mean, that's that's pretty wild. Well, that's a very interesting way that you phrase that, Adam. And, and it does remind me of the Chupacabra, right? And the whole connection to, well, what was the movie that came out? Species it came mm. out just about mm-hmm. the time and that kind of added to the hype, supposedly, or that's how some people will tell it. Right. But that's, that's a very interesting sort of pop culture, or not pop culture but just like well i guess it is pop culture it is really. it is now it's going on this Culturally show relevant. become pop culture exactly oh yeah sure. because you know you have something that's so completely out there that you never would believe that you would be reading and seeing about on tv and then you know why not throw in a werewolf you know why can you believe the, the first one but not the second one especially when it's constantly in your face and then you know the town was embracing it uh like diners and these little mom and pop restaurants and stuff were offering uh like they they were called like silver bullet specials uh some bakeries were making werewolf uh cookies um like the werewolf had taken over the bray road beast had taken over elkhorn everywhere you looked it was werewolf all the time right and that's so funny too because it's like that's where I mean, it's very easy for our minds to go directly to werewolf, right? I mean, especially when it's like you're working with a particular frame of reference. So it's like it's and and it's an upright, you know, wolf-like creature. Obviously, werewolf is the easiest thing to go to. But in the Monster Quest episode, again, it was like, yeah, heavily emphasized on that, which is obviously like Western European kind of origins in terms of folklore. And then sort of layered on top of this idea of like skinwalkers, shapeshifters, and other creatures that are not really of this of this world. But I'm kind of getting losing my train of thought here a little bit, mm. but I wanted to go back to the idea of like talking uh, kids talking around the cafeteria because in our part one, there was uh, a few lines in the documentary for part one and a half and just stuff we read where it was like in Michigan, they would tell kids that it would be like kind of the cautionary tale thing. It would be like, you know, don't stay out too late or don't follow the cries into the woods because it's it's a dog, man. It isn't a coyote. It isn't this. It sort of reminds me of what you just said, the story of people talking about. It was in the popular consciousness to like, did your mom tell you to not go outside after dark when you were in the early nineties too? Uh, I, I, I remember going camping with my cousin. Um, we did not go far from uh, Janesville where we live. Uh, and it's only, it's only a few miles away from Elkhorn. But I remember my uncle specifically saying, you know, don't stray too far away because you know, the werewolf's going to get you. <laughs> you no, know, he's saying it jokingly. But, you know, you're walking out there in the woods and stuff and you're like, oh, man, like the werewolf might get us. And, you know, at that time, um, the pictures, the classic depiction of that Linda Godfrey drew of, you know, the beast crouching down, eating roadkill on the side of the road mm-hmm. right. Um, right. Is, is fresh in, in your mind. And then also the classic depictions of, you know, like Lon Chaney's Wolfman and the, the werewolves from the howling. That's what. It, the big scary wolves that's what was popular in hollywood this was now popular in newspapers it was as a little kid if you were very gullible it was a very stressful time 
to go outside, I have to say. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can say my mom would definitely would have jumped all over that story and been like, you're in by 530 and be like, it's dark for another four and a half hours. Now, but <laughs> Not <nope>. this time of year. <laughs> um, it, it, it added to it, too, when stories slowly started trickling out, too, about kids who had seen the beast itself in the area. That started giving it more credence that, okay, um, maybe this is something we should be scared about. Are there any particular like sightings or accounts that jump out to you in your mind? Because we only have sort of a handful in front of us that we're going to be talking about in this episode in its entirety. But is there anything in your mind that kind of jumps out? There is a story. Um, I can't remember offhand the exact names. I believe it is... I believe the little girl's name was Heather. Heather. She was about 13 years old. Um, I think it took place in 1990. But I remember her and her friends were outside playing in the woods around her house. Um, I think they were sledding at the time. And they all noticed this extremely large, dark-colored dog. What they assumed was a dog watching them from in the tree line where they were playing. And they all kind of walked close to it out of curiosity. And I remember the story stating that the dog then stood up on two feet. And, you know, it was gigantic. And they fled in terror, obviously. And the thing chased after them. That really stuck in my mind as, okay, now it doesn't matter where you go. This thing is going to, you know, run after you. It's going to pursue you even when you think you're safe in, you know, a large group. Uh, Being young, that's one that really stuck in my mind um, hearing that. That's it's it's one of those things where it's like the range of different sightings from kids through to adults. The stuff with children always kind of sticks with you. I'm the same way. And that the strength in numbers not really working out is always kind of a a bit of an ominous thought it's like you know <laughs> whatever this thing is that's the thing too we talked about in part one it's like at first it didn't really seem as if if you're t- if we're going along this line of thought that it's a dog man dog creature that it's sort of more observant rather than predatorial but it kind of the accounts we read along the way changed that it kind of blurs those lines um, a little it bit. Blur- yeah it does it straddles that line between sort of just this observant sasquatch like you know ethereal Indeed. kind of Mm-hmm. being to like a very predatorial clearly a you know predator yeah a, a carnivore if you will or scavenger or, or a mix of both potentially i am currently adam i'm staring at this envelope you sent us <laughs> i also have the piece of bray road in front of me as well and i'm just really curious so written on here says it was collected by the Pine Barrens Institute. So I'm assuming that was you. <laughs> and, got, he's got minions out there. And collecting. it's very specific. It says it's from an intersection of Bray and Hospital Road and that it was the location of first sighting on October 31st, 1999. So could you tell us a little bit more about the context behind that? Or? So I get if the envelope was bigger, you know, I could I could have filled more in, but uh, <laughs> limited by by space and custom shipping and all that. Indeed, but that area, it it's one that sticks out in my mind a lot because, um, I I know the area perfectly. I've been down it. Um, it's a it's a very out far down the road area, and 
what happened during this location, uh, the sighting at this location, is that the woman was turning onto Hospital Road off of Bray Road, and I believe she collided with something or something ran out at the back of her car. Uh, she wasn't sure what it was, so she got out to see if she hit something, and that's when the thing came running towards her car. Um, I think it was the first, I guess, not like attack type thought of a sighting, but you know, a person was actually in significant danger. Um, there was like scratches on the car. There was, um, you know, some physical damage. The person was extremely shaken up. Um, so that was like the first, I, it's, it's kind of like a different type of sighting. Um, and it's one that's always stuck out to me. Um, it, I don't know. It's almost like a close encounter versus like, you know, I'm, I'm comparing it to ufology now. <laughs> <laughs> being abducted not abducted necessarily but having a close context encounter versus like a faraway sighting in the distance right you, you like she left the safety of her vehicle you know something that could you know the- theoretically it gives you that false sense of oh i'm fine nothing could hurt me in here you know the classic you know nightmare in your room you pull the blanket up you're safe kind of thing so like when you get out of the vehicle and it comes you know, at you and you have to speed away from it and it can, it like grabs your car. That's like one of the first, uh, wow, maybe there's something to this. Maybe it, it, it actually is a big predator. Right. You know, in mm-hmm. the area, maybe people should be more on guard than what, you know, thinking it's just a joke. Totally. And, you know, we can go down a million different rabbit holes with this, but I guess the, the first question that pops into my mind with what you just described, which is totally terrifying. I mean, I'm picturing myself in that situation and it is like just I mean, that's I don't like, even know that's what I would true do, right? poop your pants territory. But this idea of if yeah, if it's a if it's a predator, there's so many different sort of categories we can try to put this in. If we're going pure cryptozoological or we're talking about something that's some sort of a different hybrid, because if it's just seeking prey, there's easier prey than a car stopped on the side of the road and someone getting you know what I mean? Like it just it's it seems like it, unless it was just at that exact opportune moment. There's a clearly, you know, something that's easy to attack outside of a car. But there's got to be some other stuff around there that you could try to catch and hunt. That's what cougars and bears and wolves and whatever else does. It's this kind of human aspect to it that it's trying to scare you. That's so weird, you know? Right. And it's almost like, too, that both the woman that it happened to and the creature itself, it, it's almost like they were both in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, you know, the creature made contact with the vehicle or she made contact with it while turning something happened and it almost seems like it was just mad yeah yeah actually yeah mm-hmm. and that that totally like, makes you know sense. you hit you hit me so now i have to retaliate to show that you know this is my area type of you know like a bluff charge like a gorilla would do if you go into its territory or you know like a a, a, a black bear same thing. They're going to bluff charge you until you you leave. And it's almost like that's what it was making her do. Yeah, it definitely sounds that way. We covered a story in part one, too, where there was a, a, a similar creature, like whether the Beast of Bray, dog band that gets hit by a car similarly, that gets clipped by a truck, and then the, the vehicle behind saw it, this happen, and it just was unaffected. Which, again, sort of harkens back to this idea that it's some sort of supernatural being, unless it just kind of just grazed you because i mean getting hit by a moving truck 
is probably going to mm. <laughs> leave yeah. you a little bit debilitated. Well, they clipped the back panel of the truck, I think. Yeah. You would think there'd be damage. So I guess on that note, we're working with something here that's, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm hesitant to just straight up ask you the question of what you think this is just yet, because we're, we're kind of, we're kind of been throwing out a million different ideas here. Amber, do you have any suggestions of how I can sort of like better break this down for Adam a little bit, I guess? I mean, well, for me, I always like to work from the mundane to the most fantastical. Mm, You know what I mean? So like, what would be the most mundane explanation? Probably just a koi dog or or just a wolf or something. Which simply can't be. So, okay, let's, (laughs) let's go to, let's go to Adam on that. I mean, where, what's your take on this being some sort of just purely misidentified phenomena? I... You know, I'm I'm I can believe it because the area southern Wisconsin is not known for wolves at all. Mm-hmm. They've been out of the area for a long time. Uh, we have them up north, but down south, they're it, they're not there. It's coyotes. It's you know large tame dogs, but every once in a while, you know, kind of like a cougar, kind of like a mountain lion, all that stuff a rogue animal will move in and go through and then leave just as fast. And a lot of people in the area have, they mainly see wolves, you know, on TV, uh, in pictures in books, whatever. But when you actually see a wolf, you know, they're gigantic. Totally. So it's not out of the realm of possibility, especially where this road is that something could have been there as it was just passing through, um, came out of the woods on one side, dashed across the road into the corn on the other. It was gigantic, maybe as big as, you know, the person's car stood high as high as the, uh, the uh, I guess, driver's side window, de- depending sure. on what kind of vehicle they yeah. had. Yeah. And, you know, you see it, it's a monster. I've never seen anything this big in my life. Your imagination runs wild. Oh, this could have been... You know, I swear it turned and looked at me and it said something. You know, your, your fear takes over. Um, so I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility, but I don't think that can explain all of the other sightings. You know, out of 10 sightings, I'd say probably misidentification could probably be used for three. Yeah. But there's seven more then that would have to be something else because not everyone is going to misidentify a wolf. Someone has seen a wolf before in real life, you know. Of course. Yeah, totally. I, I, I guess on, on that note then, because obviously Wisconsin and, and Michigan too, especially, I, I guess, is, is really well known for Sasquatch sightings. And like Amber alluded to off the top of this interview, there's a lot of that getting lumped into this, where it's like if you're seeing something large and bipedal, and obviously that's dabbling in the realm of the paranormal too. There's a lot of people that don't believe in Bigfoot and Sasquatch, and what is that? Do you think that these things are being conflated, or are, we, or are these definitively too distinct creatures in wisconsin and michigan see that's a that's a difficult one to answer because me personally i always look at it as since there's been no definitive proof on proof on either camp all you can base your evidence and information off of is what someone else has done who has also never seen these things yeah so if someone's writing a bigfoot this way and they want to make, you know, a dog man seem completely different, they're going to do everything they can to make it different. And then slowly that information is going to get down and everyone's going to be like, yeah, they're different. 
but I think some of them could just be the same thing, and it's it's how easily people are scared. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're a, if you get scared by the slightest thing, you're going to think everything is a monster and gigantic and has huge fangs and claws. But if you're someone who's startled and it takes a lot to get you scared, you might just see something standing in the woods looking at you that just kind of lumbers off and doesn't do anything. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the descriptions of it, though, of the beast itself, it's always like you said, it's. It's very dog-like. It's got shaggy hair. Um, a lot of the time it says it's only got like three three long claws. Yes, yep. Uh, very wolf-like head. So it's kind of hard to mistake that from like a classic description of a Sasquatch, totally. which is very ape-like and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, very soft features in comparison to the wolf. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's, again, it's one of those things. It's like, do I pick the lesser of two evils? Or? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that was that that was definitely a hard question. That's a loaded hard question, question right to there. ask. If if anyone can definitely can definitively look at you in the eye and say this is exactly what it is, then those people are they're I don't think they're to be trusted because no, no one can say what it is. Mm-hmm. That's no, a good no, point. and that's 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 a good answer. That's a that's a really good answer. I guess the reason one of the main reasons I ask it is because in my mind I'm just I have these hypothetical scenarios and I'm like what are the interactions between Sasquatch and dog dog bipedal creatures in Wisconsin like? What, are the, what happens when those two run into each other in the woods in, in, in Michigan? I don't know. I believe, you know, something you just said, I want to say there is a video out there. I, I can't remember. I want to say it's probably from maybe upwards of five years ago. No more than that. I think it was someone filmed it outside of their window somewhere in Michigan and they claim that in the video is both a Bigfoot and a Dogman that meet up in an air, a wooded area out by their house. And they kind of just like stand there for a minute and they each go their separate way. Gotta find this. I gotta go find this now. <laughs> they, just, they go their separate ways or they get like teleported into a UFO. <laughs> ah, just, the funny sure. thing is though, like I think I've watched it maybe 10 times because I'm always hoping it's like maybe I watched it wrong. <laughs> But it's always just a person's like, look at the bottom right. You can clearly see a dog move through here, but it's standing on two feet. And it's like, I see something, but there's definitely not as much information as you're saying there is. But you think there's a Sasquatch and a dog man there, so maybe you're seeing something? I don't know. Hmm. It's a tough call. That's layering in a lot. I I want to see that video. For sure. Okay. I guess I am kind of, uh, I've worked my way into asking you this, uh, I'm not going to say final question because it's not, but just just so semi-final question. We've talked about werewolves, skinwalkers, Amber mentioned the Wahila, which is this which is this cryptozoological phenomenon from the north, this massive wolf, well, sort of in between a bear and a wolf, which I guess ties into the Beast of Bray. I mean, I often subscribe to interdimensional hypotheses because I simply have nowhere else to go. I get like cornered. I get like cornered in and I'm like, okay, there's got to be a portal here because I have absolutely nowhere else to go in this corner. What the hell do you think is going on here? Ultimately, do you what what if you had to subscribe to a camp with the dog man with the beast of Bray? Where where are you at? Where do you think this is? (laughs) (laughs) My my answer is. It always upsets someone, so I'll just I'll just put that out there <laughs> right away. We're good at that. For some reason, this my way of thinking. It it seemed someone always gets rubbed the wrong way, 
But I definitely think when it comes to cryptids of any kind, which this would be in my mind, because it's it's said to be a flesh and blood creature that we have not classified. Um, I always assume they are strictly flesh and blood, nothing else. Right. So if this was anything, it's some undiscovered creature that we just can't track accurately. Um, whether it's intelligent or not, I don't know. Uh, whether, if anything, I'd say its its population would probably be extremely low, which is why we can't see them because they're sure. constantly moving to avoid, you know, uh, maybe changing of the seasons. Uh, they feel predators are in the area. They're following a food source of something. But if if it is real, the dogman, Michigan dogman, Bray Road Beast, more than likely the same species in my mind. It's a creature that's just passing through the area doing its normal migration patterns, whatever you want to call it, and we just can't track it because we think it doesn't exist. Mm. That's I a like fair it. answer. I like I that. I like it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I like going the classic sort of cryptozoological, and that obviously makes the most sense. And if we're going based off the, the evidence that we have, which is a lot of obviously anecdotal evidence, but also just like, yeah, vocalizations. Wolf um, prints, or sorry, uh, prints. Prints, sort of things that are intangible because it's not a body. It's not, uh, you know, definitive video evidence and things like that. And I guess to your point there with the idea of it being a, a real thing that's, you know, maybe some sort of a mutated timber wolf or something like that. There actually was uh, in that episode of Monster Quest, someone who mentioned like they were making a comeback in the early 2000s. There was a lot larger timber wolves that were being found. But I guess if that was the case, if someone was to see something bipedal and we did end up finding bones in the woods and was like, oh, these are wolf bones, but it's just a really massive wolf. We wouldn't necessarily associate it with like the the, the Beast of Bray or the Michigan Dogman sightings, as opposed to if you found a full Sasquatch skeleton, it's like, okay, this isn't, you know, this this isn't Yao Ming's skeleton out in the middle of Wisconsin. This is clearly <laughs> like not, you know, a seven and a half foot tall, whatever. It would be a little bit. Oh, for sure. It. If, if any, like you said, if anyone were to just come across the bones of a giant wolf, that's what they're going to think it is—a giant wolf. They're not going to tie it back to this is what's responsible for all the monster sightings. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just going to be this is an out of place animal that shouldn't be here. Which technically, out of place animals are considered cryptids Indeed. because they're somewhere they are not supposed to be. Of course. So, it's what? How do you want to classify? Do you want to classify it as? you know, the fun way of, oh, this is a cryptid or this just shouldn't be here and, you know, it's done now. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess we're going to save our our little tidbits till the end of the series unless mm-hmm. you wanted to give a little tease here, Amber. But, I mean, obviously yeah. we lean... I haven't I, I, really I'm, made any conclusions, to be honest, I no, think. Yeah, yeah really. true. Yeah. It's all still up there. The, I can say the issue that I have with it, it seems... So the Bray Road Beast here at least the main hub of it took place only for a short amount of time. It was, it was here. There was a few sightings of it. Um, it got news coverage. It took off and then it was gone. Then other sightings, you know, were happening, uh, scattered about not in Elkhorn, uh, from the area surrounding, of course, moved out, moved out. But a lot of the famous after site sightings came out, Afterwards, People would then come forward saying, hey, I have a story or there was a story in my family. Uh, This is probably the same thing. So I think people personally, it's taken on its own legend. It's become its own legend outside of cryptozoology, outside of, 
you know, a monster. It's It's got its own name, of course. So people want it to be, you know, um, magical, supernatural, paranormal, whatever you, whatever you want to describe it as, to explain why it's been around for so long. Rather than, if you look at the sightings and it is moving away from Elkhorn, it's probably a real animal that, again, is just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. So does the the uh, the moniker of like werewolves to you is just was just as just sort of like a Western like slap it on there like it's just an easy kind of way for people to understand it but like in terms of werewolves like Western European werewolves like you I mean you're 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 thinking that that would be a purely cryptozoological misidentification as well type thing I guess I I believe yeah the the term werewolf I be, I think that you know media outlets when they get a hold of something like this it's an attention grabber Mm -hmm. you slap werewolf on something people are going to want to read the story they're going to want to watch the video um so yeah i think it it doesn't mean what it used to mean it just means hey click me and then figure out what this actually (laughs) is Mm -hmm. yeah that's a good point well um where are we at here andrew honestly i feel like I've, I've already asked Adam a few. You've really asked hard him a few loaded here. questions, definitely. <laughs> so, so I, don't, I think we maybe should like reformulate and do like another interview. I think we're coming down to the end of this one, but we do want to talk to you a little bit about your book. <laughs> I, yeah, definitely. Uh, we've been diving into this little gem for like, you know, just here and there. It's a great read, to be honest. Like, I'm really enjoying it. I really love your approach, too. So, exact title Monsters in Print. I've got that right, correct? Okay, perfect. And I just love the way that you, because I read the foreword, you know, and you said you're straight off the bat, like, I'm not going to edit this. Like, this is just, this is straight, pure newspaper clippings. It's periodical pieces. And I absolutely love that approach. I just wanted to say that. And that I love how just obscure these stories are. They're so weird. I was just reading a story about a frogman riding a bicycle through town, and it was amazing. <laughs> that is one of my favorite ones. <laughs> so I, good. I love that story so much. <laughs> it's so great. Actually, oh, we can, we, oh, not sorry, to mention, there was another one I read about Nocturnus. It was like that weird, it was like that aberration of evolution, that like half tadpole, half bulldog thing. And to be honest, I think that's going to be an episode. <laughs> I, I can touch on that, yeah. which... which yeah. Um, adds to it. Sweet. Um, before I even did this book, before I even found this story, this was probably like a year before. Uh, we went on a family vacation up up to Wisconsin Dells, and we were out on the lake. You know, I had my kids in the boat. Uh, my wife was there. We were driving the boat. My family was there, and I told the kids to look over because there was another boat, and they had a whole bunch of dogs on it. All the dogs were swimming in the water, and they were they were going back up to their boat and the family was pulling them out. And I told my kids, I said, hey, look, you see those? Those are lake puppies. They only exist in this lake and people pull them out and then they take them home. And they were like, no, you're kidding. I was like, no, I'm serious. Like, look at them all. They're just pulling dog after dog out of this water. <laughs> and then, you know, a year later, I find this story like, holy crap, lake puppies they exist. <laughs> apparently are real. <laughs> and uh, that story has become one of like, my personal favorites because it's it's so obscure it's so it it takes a lot to believe yep. it but you want to. i want to so bad oh yeah 
<laughs> I want to find another one. <laughs> we were kind of uh, chatting earlier about this idea of doing uh, another episode. I'm just going to throw it out there on this. Why not? Uh, doing an episode with you where we just pick out some of the weirdest stuff yeah. from your book. And oh, my kind gosh. Of have a, kind of like the top 10, like, weirdest stories. Little fun episode with you. That I would think be so be fun. fun. Oh, I got a few of them. I think I got my top 10. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Perfect. Hey, I got, a, I got a question for you, though. I just wanted to ask. Yes, of course. Now, in your historic, I guess, I guess, research on this, do you have the story of, um, one sec, give me a, give me a minute so it loads. No worries. Do you have the story of Catherine May uh, Degnan? No. Hmm. We do not. I don't think we've come across that, no. Let's talk about it. <laughs> so the story of Catherine May Degnan is what they they kind of obscurely link to a dog man in Wisconsin, but it takes place in 1854. Awesome. Oh, way before wow. 36. That's super early. It's, it's a long stretch, but they they're linking it in with the dog man because of how it acted. Um, if you want me to tell you the whole story, I can, I can send it to you. Why don't we just do it? Let's, let's, let's do it. Let's, let's, yeah, right. let's, let's, let's rock it. Let's hear it. So this is called The Strange Abduction of Catherine May Degnan. Uh, it was recorded by Fate Magazine. Oh, Fate. Classic. And, mm-hmm. So much fun. Uh, so and what fun. what they talk about is they say, I'm just going to read the story right as they have it. Um, so it says, John and his wife, 31-year-old Anne Flynn Degnan, had immigrated from Ireland and were just starting their family. Their daughter, Catherine May, was born in nearby Bloomfield Township a few years earlier on April 23, 1854. Her younger brother, John, was born in 1856. The family's frightening experience began late in May. At the time, the homestead was still surrounded by forests. On Friday morning, May 29th, three-year-old Catherine was seized from the threshold of the Degnan home by a large and ferocious-looking animal which had emerged from the shadows of the woods. It immediately took off with the girl, heading back towards the dense cover. The frantic screams of her mother caused the fierce animal to drop Catherine after she had been carried some 50 to 100 feet. Incredibly, this was the second time that the animal had appeared and had taken the same girl. On Tuesday morning, May 26, it had come out of the woods and snatched Catherine from the front of her homestead. The animal had succeeded in carrying her 88 yards into the dark woods in spite of the efforts of John and Anna to rescue their daughter before it reluctantly let her go. The animal that had twice grabbed the girl had been seen several times that spring by neighbors, but always at a distance. Their isolated farms, which were hacked out of the forest, were surrounded by large tracts of woods. This, they did not know what kind of animal it was, but recognized that it had little fear of humans. People that had seen the animal firsthand assumed that it was a bear, but based on the descriptions given by the terrified family, it was anything but. Eyewitnesses did not identify it as a bear, however. Furthermore, Murphy's letter to his brother implied that the creature grabbed the girl in both arms rather than its mouth and ran away like a man. The neighborhood was both alarmed and agitated by the event. Subsequently, a large party of determined township men hunted the further creature, beginning on Wednesday, May 27th, looking for its lair, but it did not meet with success. Hmm. They planned to capture it if it was still in the area, which in 1857 meant that they planned to kill it. The sly creature, unfortunately, though, proved to be quite elusive. Kate survived the harrowing ordeal, 
and never married. She died at Lake Geneva on the morning of January 15th, 1896 of consumption, outliving her father by 12 years. Her brother John was alive during the abductions, but he died in 1889. The last person to witness the abduction firsthand was Anna Degnan, but she died on April 25th, 1902. So everyone who witnessed the event has died, but it was all described as not being an animal. It was an animal-like thing. Hmm. Hmm. That's wow. weird. I'm really glad you shared that because we hadn't come across that. No. And to go back into the 18 to the t- towards the turn of the century, that's that's a big deal. And obviously, yeah, nobody around to talk to anymore about it. Oh man, I wish we had. I. W- <laughs> that's juicy. You should send that over to us anyway. Yeah, I would email. really love for you to send that over. That would be amazing. Oh, for sure. Um, and thank you for doing that reading. That was really that was great. Yeah. That's going to be an awesome little addition to this for sure. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Th- this is this is one of those stories that. Even though fate has covered it, it's kind of like, how do you verify that it actually happened and it wasn't someone, you know, just saying, oh, sure, I, I've encountered the werewolf. And, yeah. mm-hmm. You know, and they give a story. But the way that it's described, much like a lot of the stories in the book, it doesn't seem to be, like, embellished in any way. No. Mm-hmm. Those are the those are the hardest ones to pick apart. <laughs> they truly are. Oh, man. Damn, eh? Yeah, no, I, 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 oh, I got, I got to read through it myself again and try to break, break that down, and that's gonna uh, make this even harder to try to pinpoint what the hell we're, de- mm. <laughs> what we're dealing with. But I love it, I love it so, so much. That's really intriguing, though, the fact that due to the efforts of the parents, it reluctantly quote let it go. Like yeah. you would think it would just keep running. This story, <laughs> I, I'm not sure if you're aware. You, you probably are, um, might not be. I don't know, but this brings back memories of the i did an article uh, about the traverse spine gorilla oh, okay yep yep and it was about that family that you know a creature came out of the woods and tried to take their daughter and kept coming back around the house and they had to keep chasing it away that was described as a sasquatch type creature though mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. is described as not a bear uh, so maybe a uh, like something that could be described as a Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. People are saying Dogman, but they're doing the exact same thing. You know, that one was Upper Canada. This one is middle of Wisconsin. Right. So there's distance between, but they're doing the same thing. Totally. I mean, I guess when someone just straight says to me, not a bear, like whenever you, even though it's describing something by what it's not, I, I just picture snout. I mean, bears have that snout. It's just shorter and more stubbed than a wolf would be. And that's like what the Wahila is described as. And a the lot bulkiness of the, like the, of the snout, creature the too, right? wolf. Right? Like the bulkiness of the creature as well? Exactly. That'd it's be... all very, very bizarre. Well, for, hmm. well, for sure. And when you hear someone say, everyone knows what a bear looks like. So if someone is very honest and they're saying it's not a bear it moved like a man like it you can't really confuse that with anything else no (laughs) you can't and you can tell when someone's lying by how they say something and it's like a lot of the times it's genuine and how they say it was not a bear it was not an animal that's really weird sorry did we get like an approximate height on this creature in this particular story this one no no okay clearly quite large if it's able to move faster than i guess her parents would and a bunch of men chasing it then it's prob and carry the girl at the same time mm-hmm. i'm gonna say probably anywhere between five and six feet at least for yeah, sure that would make sense yeah plus running through the woods over stuff it has to 
be large enough to overstep all that down debris. Right. Mm-hmm. But again, it's that's all just a theory. Of course. I'm curious. <sighs> I wonder cool if there's story. any vocalizations. I, obviously, we didn't get any of those details in that initial mm-hmm. account. That just reminds me, sorry, I'm just reminded of the X-Files episode with the wolfman that ends up being an indigenous member who is dressed like a wolf and acts like a wolf. You know what I mean? Was that our uh, Murdoch mysteries? I think you're talking about. Oh, sorry, sorry. I'm totally confusing those two. Yeah, Yeah, that was a Murdoch. (laughs) 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 But that was a very intriguing episode, right? Because he was essentially acting on vengeance because he was left for dead in the woods by a group of white hunters. What if this could have been interpreted as some sort of act of vengeance against these particular pioneers or settlers or farmers or wherever they were yeah potentially definitely could have they they do try and link this one later on to another sighting in 1869 about the same animal okay this is also included in the fate uh article but this time it was seen november 5th 1869 uh east of janesville on delavan road which is now highway 11 which is literally just right around the corner from me okay oh wow uh, they, it was seen on a few evenings by farmers. Uh, it was described as being ferocious. It fearlessly attacked some large and rough farm dogs. Uh, from appearances, the local farmer suggested it looked like it was capable of quickly devouring a good-sized boy. Uh, once again, non-witnesses proposed that it was also a bear, which was a suggestion scoffed at by those who had seen it. That's all they say about that one. Hmm. 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 And all before the 1930s. That, that's the part about this that I love. It's just that's that cool. It's well, that always one was, good to have these accounts early. Was that 1869 or 67? 1869. Okay. okay. Super early. If you could send us that as well, that'd be great. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'll, definitely, uh, I'll definitely send those over. Awesome. <laughs> okay, great. Well, I mean, Adam, man, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, set some... Please set some time aside in the new year because we want to have you back on like really, really soon. And if you uh, start doing some more recordings for Pine Barrens, like we would love to come chat with you as well. Totally. I'm thinking about doing them again when the new year comes up. I want to get something set up where, you know, I don't have to worry about it just not recording. So, uh, yeah, I'll definitely keep you guys in mind and we will make something work. Awesome. Cool. cool. Sounds good. But before we let you go, uh, you want to just take a second, just let people know, like, we're going to have a link for your book in the show notes for this, but where they can find the book, where they can find Pine Barrens Institute and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, the, uh, we can be found at, and let me clarify, when I say we, I'm, I'm specifically talking about just me, but I always refer to the site <laughs> as we, um, but it can be found at pinebarrensinstitute.com. And then from there, you can find links to our uh, Instagram, Twitter, store, um, articles, interviews, all that stuff. It's all one convenient place. Awesome. Sweet. Yes. And then, of course, um, yeah, like I just said, you guys can click the link in the show notes here and check out Adam's book. And uh, yeah, man, thank you so much for coming on. Make sure to uh, check you lock the doors uh, at night tonight for the East <laughs> of Bray Road. And uh, we'll talk to you again really soon. Well, that was an awesome little chat. Definitely. That was super fun. And man, oh man, oh man, I'm still not sure what to make of the Beast of Bray, but Adam definitely contextualized things a little bit for us. He really did add that kind of like 
from the ground level kind of perspective because he was right there living it growing yeah. up in Wisconsin, which is so cool. And we've got this little piece of history on the podcast table forever now, which is just amazing. So cool. And along with that, we've got so many different threads and, and things to follow up on from that conversation, which I can't wait. Adam's going to send us over some of those resources. Mm-hmm. And along with that, we're going to uh, have the conclusion of our of our series yeah. in the next coming few weeks. That's right. So um, it, you know what? We'll tease you a little bit. It may even be coming next week, but uh, likely sticking to our regular release times. But uh, we'll see about that. But we're going to be diving into the ancient history of these very strange bipedal canine creatures and trying to tie some ancient mythology and stories from going way, way back, whether it's ancient Egypt, Egypt and Egyptology or Greece, a lot of different cultures, you know, we might even knew about these creatures. Yeah. We, I think we have a Herodotus reference in this. We definitely do. Oh, for sure. (laughs) So yeah, we're going to be trying to tie that into this modern cryptozoological phenomenon that exists in Wisconsin, Alaska, Michigan, and these places we've talked about so far and beyond. And it gets very strange, stranger than it already has been. So stay tuned for that. And uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode on Into the Portal. Your gateway to the bizarre. This podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.